0: This is Rugger Matrix America. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff, editor of Goff Rugby P- Report, uh, joined by, as usual, Bruce McLean, who is uh, a, an emperor on a, of his own kingdom, and Pat Clifton from rugbytoday.com. And uh, welcome to the show. We're talking about uh, national team, men's national team, and a bunch of other things that sort of circling around that. Um, and happy Father's Day to everybody. This is uh, we're just sort of just coming out of Father's Day weekend, so happy Father's Day to everyone. Uh, and we are talking about the U.S. national team. We're just coming off the USA losing thirty-seven to twenty-nine to, to Japan. And the week before, they lost twenty-four to six to Scotland. Um, and and I don't know, guys. I actually I do know. I do know how you'd feel about this. But it's getting old to say, well, that's encouraging. It's been
1: getting old to say that. Um, uh, it, it, they they did play better. There's no doubt about it. They played better against Japan. The attack was on point. They were actually breaking the game line. Now, how much of that was? Japan's not as good as Scotland, I don't know, but Japan's a pretty good team. So, uh, you know, they were they were doing some things differently. They had a lot more success in attack for a lot of different reasons, you know, where they were putting guys in the right position to win. Um, and defensively, they were, it wasn't even close. It was night and day at certain points of the game that I, I've got to, you know, leave that out there, uh, that they were fantastic. Certain points of the game, their, sp- their line speed was great, and they weren't giving Japan any opportunities. A couple of those points, you know, areas where they were creating a lot of pressure that generally turn into turnovers didn't, you know. And one comes to mind specifically for Japan in the second half where they took a broken play and scored when, you know, eight times out of ten that possession probably results in a knock-on and a scrum of the United States. So the United States played better, but at the same time, uh, you know, they've eventually got to get over that hump. And, um, you know, I think everybody in the U.S. rugby community feels like that time is now and not any time – forward from here
2: I thought we let two massive opportunities go begging um, you know those are World Cup opponents and against Scotland we didn't show up it wasn't even like watching a game and against Japan it definitely was an enhanced performance definitely was a better performance but the, the fact of the matter is the scrum has been an issue for now, five years. This isn't this isn't anything new. The last time our scrum was effective was when we played against Canada going into the qualifying matches when Emmerich got the red card. Our scrum was very effective then. That's the last time it was very effective. It was oh, it was serviceable was against Uruguay. It was serviceable against Uruguay. In the in the 2011 World Cup qualifiers, but since and and but since then, it has been nothing short of causing us losses over and over and over, and now it's spilling over into into the lineup. And
0: well, uh, Pat Pat, you had uh, a question there. Who who was in that front row then that we lost or don't have? Uh, Mike McDonald was in there, as was. Uh, uh, Will Johnson, and uh, Jake Sprague was getting involved, you know, in, in that year. There was a lot of talk about a really deep front row, and then we started to lose those guys. Mate
1: Mate Mocchiola? He was,
0: yeah, he was involved as well.
1: Um, well that's, that's the point I think I was driving at, is that yeah. you have a guy who had a, a pretty long career professionally um, in Europe, and you had another guy who... Um, you know, spent more than a cup of coffee in Europe, both in the front row. And now you don't, I mean, you've got Eric Fry as your only professional. Um, and I, he still seems to be struggling to tr- the transition to play prop, period. He's pretty good around the park. He's a big body, so everybody wants to give him a chance. But, uh, you know, I don't think he's a prop at heart. And I think that's starting to be glaringly obvious. And it's pretty hard to, to force him into that into that round hole. It's starting to
0: spill over into the lineout, Bruce. You say, and and I think that there might one of the things that combine. both I thought the lineout
2: drive. I thought the lineout drive was good. I, I think that what they're happened just, they're
0: is they're losing throws, right? They would get bro, they got contested successfully.
2: Hookers, hookers lose confidence based on scrum and lineout, and then and then so to the packs in general. The the thing about the scrum that's so important to rugby is that it's the one thing the pack does eight on eight. You will find that quality front rows, quality scrummaging teams can lose a game 20 to 17 and still talk about the scrums. They love scrummaging teams that are really good at scrummaging love doing it. They love talking about it. They would rather win the head count than the scoreboard, not rather win the head count than the scoreboard count, but the win isn't as satisfying if they're not winning the head count. The U.S. drove lineups pretty well. I, I thought that there were, I thought it was a great move to use Clevermore as a jumper. He's a fantastic jumper, and and I think he gets into the air well, and he's and he's and he's, and and they went away from it, and uh, and it didn't work.
1: Was the lineout as a whole really a problematic, or are we all just saying that? Well, I think the that well, when you have resulted in when, a draw. Well, when you have no scrum, you need your lineout. I, I, I get mean, that, but well, I'm saying the the the. The lineup isn't a; it hasn't been a chronic problem, and it's not in, a chronic problem. Well, that's that's the in, point. They had one bad throw that resulted in a scrum that resulted in a try, which I think is why the lineup they, line out's been they, fairly they lost. Uh, they were, how many how many throw-ins did they, they lose? They
2: lo- I, they I didn't seven, count, but four. they lost enough. They lost enough to make a difference. Yeah. It, when when you're playing, here's the deal: you don't want to lose any scrums, but you'll get a free kick or two here and there, so or whatever. You're gonna take that's gonna happen. So you, you may get six to eight scrums in the game that are yours and the opposition is about the same amount. And, you know, you'll give one back and, on a penalty or a free kick or, a, or a, something stupid happening on a line out, you may, you know, you'll have 13 or 14. You should, you know, you may lose one or two and that's it. That's what you're supposed to do. You're okay. supposed to be 95% in your scrums, 90 plus percent in your line out. That's what you're supposed to do. It's your we, job that's we, what we, we, that's we what you have hired. the
0: expectation that the eagles are going to win uh, you know 90 yeah. 95% of their lineouts and they rely on the lineout to attack and when they got they got one nice little lineout on an attacking position in the second half and they scored a try from it uh they can't afford to lose those lineouts they can't afford to lose them on their own 5 meter and they well, and, yeah. and, and and that that was a bad throw but they can't afford when when they've got a lineout in the opposing half and, 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 oh, I watched, I remember this last year as well, uh, l- looking at, um, a line out and saying, all right, great. Uh, the Eagles are in a good position here because they've got uh, an attacking line out. They win this, they're going to be attack, able to attack well, and then they don't, they lose it at critical moments and that worries me.
1: Well, okay. I, I also yeah. look at the lineout, and I also see, uh, the first try of the game coming off of really good pressure put on a defensive line out. I also see that we got you know with two or three penalties off of lineouts. We were awarded two or three penalties off of lineouts, so I, I'm not willing to lump the lineouts in with the scrums and say that set piece is just a negative as a whole. I, I you know sure maybe it wasn't the most accurate lineout of the uh, lineout day ever, but. I don't think that you look at that game, and at least this is me, maybe I'm wrong because it's two versus three here, but and say lineouts were, were uh, anywhere in the top three or four issues. Well, Other I than mean, that one isolated lineout that was the backbreaker.
2: I, look, to me, it, it's just the way I coach. It has nothing to do with anything else, and a lot of people coach differently. You set your platform on scrum, lineout, restarts, and defense. You have got to have those locked down. Then you play rugby, and your second part is to pressure the opposition in each of those things. So you don't want... So when when you scrum against the U.S., you're guaranteed good ball. We had had a really good pressure line, and some good things happened. And I think that... Thorne made a great read and I don't even know if that was on our line out.
0: It was, that's the, I think that's it was on the, our ball. That's the correction. <laughs> it was actually a USA throw. It was a lost yeah. line out. So Look, it's, I, I and, and that's great. That's great that it turns into a try and that's, that's a good play. Um, so it's a lost line out that turns into a gain for the USA. So, you, I mean, you have to point out if you point out line outs and say, well, that that cost them. Um, that one obviously didn't cost them. It actually turned out. Okay. Um, but it's something that we have an expectation of. And I think that uh, Japan did a pretty good job of of guessing or figuring out where the jump was going to be and sending up a tall guy to contest that throw. So, you know, I, I think you have to put it partly on Japan, and they did well.
2: well uh, Jap- the Japanese line-out coach is Steve Borthwick, who is one of the most astute line-out people in the world. So... He is—he's excellent at video analysis. So you know the U.S. needs to have a better menu. Now I, I thought they changed up things pretty well early on, and things were going. And I just think they as the game got away from them a little bit, they started to go deep too often. And you know, it, number one rule is win the ball. That's the number one rule. I know you want to win the ball at specific areas in the lineout, but every time teams do that, they get themselves into trouble. Win the ball. It's a really good rule of thumb. And you saw it in England and New Zealand that they would go to the front and drive the hell out of it, and that's what they just did. And they did it over and over and over, and then when you gave them the middle, they took it, or you gave them the tail, they took it. But they certainly didn't try to force a square peg into a round hole. All
0: right, All right. So, and that's on Scott LaValla, whose uh, job it is to make the calls on the line Well, I,
2: I think that there's, there's, there's a lot of – I'm not putting it on anyone. The lineouts line outs are a choreography – And there's a there's a limited menu when you go into a game. You don't have a lot to choose from. And you and it is a choreography thing. And there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts. And the U.S. has a great lineup. They really do. And they and they have the capability of having one. They they change personnel. And sometimes when you change personnel, it doesn't take a whole lot to have, you know, a tenth of a second or half a second in timing that that's the difference between winning and losing a ball. So you well, can't think, really that, put it I on any one point. person.
0: That, that, I just want to jump in. I think there's a very good point because, you know, we talk about different moving around and the, uh, uh, you know, Danny Barrett, I thought played well, but Danny Barrett has a lifting job now in the lineout that is something that Lou Stanfield was doing. So that, that that does change exactly what that timing is. It changes the dynamics something perhaps we don't think about I I didn't
2: I didn't watch it close enough to be able to say who did what I I watched the game on the computer live so I didn't go and watch it again I drove home all day so I I can't tell you who did what or whether Danny Barrett was lifting well or Louie would have been better I that part I couldn't tell you I thought that things went great in the beginning and then, then things stuffed up a little bit and like Pat it wasn't the end of the world. But in a game that the way it was going, it was the end of the world because it was sure. what they needed. You, It's like there's certain things. Like Chuck Noll used to say that whatever it takes, that's what the Steelers did. Sometimes the offense wasn't working or the passing game wasn't working. Well, the running game took over or the, the defense wasn't working. or well, then the attack took over and they had to score touchdowns. It's just whatever it takes. So if something's sputtering, then guys have to step up and do it in another area.
0: Right. The the late, great Chuck Noll. Uh, just recently passed away, so, uh, you know, rest in peace. Chuck, great, great football coach. Uh, all right, I, I I was sort of spilling out into another um, decision. I wanted to talk about uh, a decision late in the game, but before that I did want to point out, um, talking about the scrum, and I maybe it's, it's me being picky about stuff. Uh, Japan scored on two scrums, and they committed a penalty on each of those in that their their flanker reaches around and grabs and bound on to USA flanker. One time it was Todd Clever, one time it was Scott LaValla, and bound him into the scrum. That's illegal. That should have been a penalty that should have been called. Um, Late in the game— Alex, I will tell you right
2: now, that is my pet peeve of international rugby and professional rugby in general. What they let these flankers get away with, they let them get away with complete, utter murder. It's a joke. The scrum is going to get legislated out of the game— if they keep allowing it to happen the way it is also the tight heads are going in, crouch blinding, and is yanking down on the tricep of the loose head the, um, it, 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 these guys, these fat bastards aren't going to understand that when they don't have a job anymore, because we go to rugby league scrums, it's because of all this crap. Same with the coaches. They're freaking cheats and they got to cut it because it's ruining the game.
0: Right and you know when there's a scrum especially you know with the eagles but with a, with a lot of games people start to just roll their eyes and say all right here we go it's going to be stop and reset and reset hey. they they changed they changed some of the things to to make it more you know less less stultifying, and i guess those worked a little bit but uh, the
2: eagles have to be better that that they're not good enough at it they need to work harder at it individually and you know there are things that you can do that can can help a guy to become a better scrummager and those guys just have to make it their business to do them.
1: You're you're coming from a coaching perspective and I respect that from a sheer what, uh, you know, what I think is a fairly objective perspective is uh, the refereeing has to just change. It, It can't continue to be the same way it is where you've got a guy who's been in fewer scrums in his entire life than I have fingers and is determining what is causing this group of 16 guys to go down, and he's doing it based on who's wearing what jersey and the perception of who's stronger. That has to go. Oh, that, uh, they, they've got to they, get rid of scrum penalties to begin with. But and, I, and I'm not saying that was the case against Japan, but it clearly was against Scotland. Uh,
2: I'm, uh, not, I'm not, not going
1: to talk about again. I'm not going to talk
0: about it. Yeah, okay, uh, but you're the spot referees, on because they, the reputation – and, and USA has, to, has earned their bad reputation and needs to earn a better one, but the reputation has so much to do with it. And you remember, for a while, basketball, professional basketball was like this a lot. And I remember the story of uh, when there was an influx of Eastern European players, and they would start playing the way that they normally do, and, and a referee would say to them, you may get away with that in Russia, but not here. And, and American players would get away with stuff that Lithuanian players would not be able to get away with. And it's really very much in evidence in, uh, in international rugby that even if a player playing for the United States has played uh, for 20 years, he's looked on as someone who doesn't know what he's doing and is, is penalized as a result.
2: All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into this cup a little bit. Um, the referees, the referees do have to get better. There's no doubt about that. And I believe that a, a lot of what happens happens in the flanker position. And guys, they, they, there's different things that go on. They can't see everything. The teams have to stop cheating. Number one, the referees have to put them in the bin. Number two, stop the, to do what Nigel Owens did and just say you're ruining the spectacle, and I'm going to just put you all in the bin and just play 12 on 12 because you don't need them. They're ruining the game. And so that, that has to end. Now, the perspective of the U.S. You know, they're not getting the calls. That's nonsense. The I, I know that you can say You can go back and look at everything and say and, and nitpick the whole thing. At the end of the day, there's an old saying in boxing. you got to knock out the champ. If you want respect, you've got to knock out the champ. You're not going to win the decision. You're not going to win running around the ring, pap 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 pap, getting a decision. you got to knock the champion out. So and if you want
1: to get good at it. That's, that's stupid. I, okay, I understand you know what? Airport, but that is part of the problem with boxing. Part of the problem with soccer is flopping and people being rewarded doing it. Same thing in basketball now. I understand that it's something that happens and something that you have to deal with as a player. But as an observer and as a pundit, it's stupid. It's something that needs to be fixed from the outside in, from that top down. <laughs> The item I got a question. Quest to get, to get rid of scrum penalties. So only can scrum I, free kicks. You can't have three free points or a free penalty try based on something that happens when a scrum collapses. I, just take away the incentivization uh, for teams to actually cheat, and they will stop cheating.
2: Well, I, you, you, what you can do is you, you can every penalty can be like hockey and just put people in the bin for a while. You know, it doesn't have to be ten; it I can would, be two. I would five, love that. I would You totally know, but love that. and that's and and, but. And, the fact is, Pat, we are a terrible scrummaging team. We are not a good scrummaging team. No, I get that. No, no amount of refereeing or adjudication is going to change that. They don't work hard enough at being good at it. No, but what, that's what, why they're Bruce, not good at it. Bruce, but what will change? Japan is a bunch of midgets. <laughs> well, that's why they're good at it. Okay. It's, a, it's nation cr- a nation of midgets. It's a nation of brutes. And what about a nation of? I I'm going to hear like, oh, they were bigger than us. I think they were. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, look, we, I, there is a way to get good at scrummaging. There, there's no reason for America not to be good at scrummaging.
1: I, I'm not. But sure, I know the that's true. But that's good. true. But I wouldn't. I know the, the reason. Fact
0: the, the, the people from the forward. land of sumo wrestling are not good at pushing things. Obviously, they would be.
1: I don't, I don't care. The end result for me as a fan or as somebody who watches isn't for us to be better at scrummaging than the USA. I don't care about the head count versus the point count. I care about the USA winning. And if the scrum was judged fairly, I believe that they would have quite possibly have a scalp over Ireland last year and they would have had a more competitive game this year against Scotland and certainly a more competitive game two years ago against Italy. I care about the, the, the scoreboard. So I get it. They have to get better. Well, in the process of giving, getting better, let's quit giving away three, six, nine, 12 points in a game, or even more than that, just because. It's stupid. Hey, look. I mean, you gotta, the, the, looking at it from a
2: coach, a coach's perspective, you have a choice. You can blame the referee or play above the referee. That's your choice. And I think that the choice always has to be play above the referee. All right. You so- can't allow the referee to control your destiny. Just my feeling. And I, hey, look, no, I it happens.
0: I, I totally understand that, but I, I really, I, I've, it's been years now, and I'm continually discussing this and looking at this and trying not to blame the referee. Somebody has to sit down with the IRB and talk to them about this and say, do you? If you want this game to grow, if you want to get the biggest uh, sports media entertainment market in the world to really care about rugby you've got to stop ruining it and you've got to you've got to get out of the way you've got to be allow the fact and soccer did this soccer at some point international soccer became comfortable with the idea that the united states or cameroon or south korea or something like that might win a few games and they found out that the same old team still win the world cup but you allowed more countries to get involved in the game. Rugby needs uh, to do I, this. Rugby needs to do this much more. And all it is is to actually ha- to address it behind closed doors. Fine, but be honest about it and address it, because I don't. I, I don't feel like they are.
2: If the IRB gave a damn,
0: no, they don't. No.
2: They don't. But if the That's IRB true. really, if the IRB really gave a damn, 15s would be in the Olympics. The best eight teams in the world would be there. The quarterfinals would have eighty-five thousand. 000- people at every game. The semis would have 85,000 people at the game. The third place game would have 85,000 people at the game and the gold medal game would fill anything. And so if you really want to grow it, you can have 25,000 people at some crappy sevens thing or 12 teams, or you can have eight best teams, one of them being the British lions or whatever. And you can, and that would be how you grow the game. They obviously were pretty short sighted in terms of that. And so if you, and if you're waiting for them to go and give us something, they're not going to give it to us. What they did is give us a $2 million bill on our CEO. But that's, you know, that's fine, two plus, uh, not including travel and benefits.
0: I, I want to ask you about a decision late in the game. And I find this I, – I, I still struggle with what one should do. Right at the end of the game, there were two or three minutes to go. Uh, and the Eagles had, a, they got a penalty. And uh, then acting captain Scott Lavala said, let's kick for the corner and tr- get, go for a try. Um, that is the choice. They're down by eight, right? The try is not going to get them, right? Or, or do you go for points because a successful penalty kick would have put them within... Uh, seven points they would have gotten another bonus point in the standings and and understanding that either either decision you have to score twice in order to win the game um i'm leaning toward the idea that they probably should have gone for post because you could do it quickly and then if you're up then you try and quickly score a try whereas if you if you try to score a try. you know, you can have a time-wasting situation. Um, in the end, they they knocked the ball on, and uh, although I think I think a Japanese leg was responsible for that, but they knocked the ball on. The game was over. Um,
1: what do you think about that, uh, Bruce? What
2: do you, you want to go here? first?
1: I, I think you're. I, I think it was a mistake. I think it was a mistake for a couple of reasons. One is. If you get the three points, I mean, the game's over if you miss that regardless, just like it was over when Petri knocked the ball on. So it, it, it's you got to succeed at whichever decision you make in order to stay alive. So the kick, I, I go for the kick because then you get a restart, and hopefully you can get the ball back and you continue to play. you got to get the ball back one way or another. That's a given whatever decision you make uh, mm-hmm. off the restart. But generally speaking, and this is from – maybe this is an ignorant point of view, but I don't think it is generally speaking, a referee is not going to just hand you a shot at goal to win a game, but what they are going to do. And what you see all the time is you see multi-phase possessions keep going for five, six, seven minutes into the death when you're watching a rugby game. So I would rather put the three points up and then put the, the destiny in my guy's hands to try and then get a try instead of trying to score a try and then putting the the game in the referee's hands looking for the extra three points, or also putting in that extra effort to get a try. I'll take the three points, which is a high-percentage shot, and then I'll take the the, the game in our, squarely in our hands um, and not in the referee's whatsoever. Instead of us trying to play and hope a whistle's called and we get a shot at goal, I'd rather us just play with one goal in mind, and that's we've got to get across that line.
2: I, I like that. I like that. I understand the tactics of it all. I think that... Just from a player perspective, or or stuff, I I like Lavalla's call. We were driving well. What well, we didn't have a, a great deal of offense that was going. You, you do make sense in turn, and I believe me, I thought of this while it was happening. Do you take the three and try to win the restart and hope you get lucky and and get one where a guy gets a clean and gets a ten fifteen yard break and you start playing a little bit of breakout rugby. Um. I probably would have, I probably would have done exactly what Lavalla did, or, or run it, um, and just try to score that try. I, I don't think there was enough time to really do much of anything, and I think you really just—it's just a—it's just a, a mental thing. Like I think they understood that the game was essentially gone, and that they and had t- been drive—they had t- been driving lineouts. Well,
0: I know, how, and, I know. Take, how and driving. taking and take—I understand taking the penalty kick is essentially saying we've accepted that we're going to lose. Suppose we're they just missed to make it. it closer.
2: Suppose they missed it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it's just one of those things like as a as a guy, as a person, as a human being, you just want to, you know, it's almost like I lost the fight but I got my shots in, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Uh, not to go back to, to to that analogy again, but um I just I probably would have done Exactly what LaValla did for the exact reason. And then if we had scored the try, hope that on the restart. Also on restarts, a lot of stupid stuff happens. They're going to restart if a guy blocks you. And you kick a little high one in front and a guy blocks you. You know, like when they get that – and you get that kick and you get a kick for sticks in front. I mean, Wiles kicked – that was one thing that we didn't mention. Wiles well, kicked brilliantly. Man. And he was – him and Scully, I mean – Malpin played relatively well. I'm not I don't know what happened defensively. I, I don't I'm I'm I not gonna say that I remember everything that happened defensively. But man, were Wiles well, and Scully were money, man. They were freaking great to watch. They were just fun.
0: Blaine, they were Blaine what we Scully them to Blaine be. Scully running in support the way he did and being there to awesome. accelerate onto a pass was ter- terrific. And and you know, that first try he scored, um, you know, Wiles. Just like three great plays in quick succession, four great plays in quick succession, um, and Scully was inside him and saw that there was a space outside and looped around in time to get that pass. That was really great. Um, Honestly, uh, I, how
2: great is that? How great is Chris Wiles? Well, that guy—he yeah, really is an unbelievable rugby. Well, there, He's a I just—I just, to watch I just every time wrote, I wrote about this.
0: It. I wanted to ask you guys: Is he the, the best fullback the USA has ever had?
2: Well, I saw the I saw the '87 World Cup clip where um, Lambert scored this crazy try against Japan. Right. And and then Nelson, who played for Denver, who was a fullback, um, kicked the kick from the sideline. I mean, legitimately the sideline. Bounced off the crossbar and went in. It was... Um,
0: and Ray, Ray well, Nelson, for the longest time, held the record for most points in a World Cup by the USA, most career points in all World Cups by the USA. Um, and And kind of easy to forget. Him because he do, I, do I
2: know that do I know do I know if Chris Wiles was the greatest fullback to ever play for the United States I I if nothing Chris Wiles is in the conversation of the greatest back to ever play for the United States mm-hmm. and you know it, obviously there's been a there's been a long time of things and you don't really won't have seen everybody and, and there's a lot of different eras, but Chris Wiles has been on top class, Premiership and Heineken Cup teams, and he's been on a he, – he is a great sevens player, and he's a, a fantastic eagle. And he – even when he doesn't have his best game, he goes out and hustles and plays so hard and plays with, with such aggression and passion that he really is just great to watch, even when it's not going his way. Yeah. He's just great. He is awesome. He's like the, the consummate professional in that – Nothing ever shakes him either, and when he told that referee off, when in in uh, in the game against Scotland, when it should have been halftime, he said, "Hey, it's not my call, not my call." He looked at him he goes, "You know, like Fuck you, bro, you got to be kidding me. Like, you got to like that in a guy, the guy who's got the guts to say, you know, stick it, bro. You you're an idiot." And a lot of these referees, as she said, they are, and they, they're self, you know, they they're really over officious jerks, but. We can either—that's one of Marvel. Levy's one of his greatest lines. You're an over officious jerk,
0: <laughs> but uh, that's what they—that's what they are. And, um, and- just on just on just on Chris Wild, um w- One thing I'll complain about Chris is that he doesn't like to give interviews after uh, the team plays poorly, or, or and and I understand why he he takes it very personally, and he's very good about it. Like you know, a day later. Um, or a few hours. Well, the thing later is this, is, is that
2: you yeah. don't want to say anything because you got to remember that you're in camp with these guys. These are your boys. They're your friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you could privately say to a guy, like, are you kidding me? Yeah. That you let that, Did you acted like that or you let that happen? I mean, if that, could you imagine that gets said in an interview? You, you spend years and years building up your credibility and your character and everything. You could lose that in a second. He's yeah. smart enough to know that again the
0: other, that's why he's
2: great he's
0: yeah awesome. and the other the other thing about Chris Wiles he's born in Connecticut his parents are English his, his parents were living in the states when he was born in Connecticut um, he he was uh, on his way to play for like England a um, and was given kind of a, a backhanded uh, opportunity to play for England a and he and he passed it up to go play for the USA sevens team with no guarantees um and uh, and he was on the 15s team in 2007 and really wasn't expected to play a great deal when Francois Villon um, broke his nose and it really didn't heal. He was unable to play and, and it was Wiles who said uh, um, you know, I play a little bit of fullback and he's been basically there ever since. Wiles, despite the English accent, despite the English parents, despite the fact that he plays in England, is an extremely patriotic eagle. He cares about the usa he doesn't turn his nose up at it he hasn't needed to play for the eagles for years he's been very successful at saracens he could just play at saracens and cash his paycheck um but he uh he shows up when they tell him you're getting 50 dollars a day or 75 dollars a day he's like great yeah thanks i appreciate it and and he uh and he moves on and he plays really hard and plays hurt which he did uh against japan um and and i I'm all for when people complain about getting hired hands from overseas and I'm all for entertaining that discussion. But um, there are some of these guys who come from overseas. There are good, true patriotic guys who come from overseas and play for the United States. Chris Wilds is at the top of that list. All right. So, uh, oh, one other thing about we, oh, I want to go back to the Scrum because just one comment about the Scrum because it spills over into an, a slightly different topic. Uh, a lot of the great Scrumming teams work together as a unit extremely well. They practice together as a unit. They Scrum together time and time again as a unit. Obviously, the United States team does not. They're all over the world. They're all they're in different. Uh, They're in different uh, uh, competitions, so you know you've got guys who are in college, guys who are in club, everything. They don't really work together very well, uh, or or very often. So the answer to that is, you know, should we have pro rugby in the United States? Do we need to push for pro rugby in the United States? Because then we would have more players working on the same pathway in the USA. We'd have them perhaps to practice more often, train together in whatever aspect of play. Um, and it keeps getting brought up. Uh, my feeling about the pro rugby thing is, is simply that I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think there's money. I don't think there's enough money for there. I think there's a, lot, there's a little bit of money dribbling around, and people think that's a lot of money, and it's not.
1: It's not just, I mean, you you look back at the correlation of this thing. Japan, last time the U.S. beat Japan was 2003. That's when Japan started its pro league. Japan, I mean, you look at the guys that made all the big plays, um, you know, against Japan Saturday, and they're pros. Scully, Wiles, pros. Lavala making big hits, Samu making big hits, pros. Danny Merritt, you know, even some of the things he did, he's still in a professional contract playing in a professional setup, albeit sevens. The guys who made, you know, probably the two, most obvious errors Saturday, not to pour it on them because they're certainly not the reason we lost, are Phil Teal and Mike Petrie. The knock-on at the end of the game that the stops the, the chance to, to just get that try and keep the game alive. And the, the the bad throw-in that results in a try to Japan that was a backbreaker. Those guys are domestic guys, and they're not pros. It, obviously, the benefits to having a pro league are huge. Everybody wants one. Are we going to have one? I, I still say eventually. I don't know that it's going to happen immediately. Fifteens, pro fifteens. I think we're a long ways away from having a pro fifteens competition. But the thing that you know we're probably going to touch base on here is uh, super sevens. Super sevens is a prototype of a, a, a variation of sevens that United World Sports is looking at maybe taking professional or creating prof- a professional league around. Um, I, in, in my opinion, it's the closest thing we've got to to a professional league since I've been paying attention. Um, Because you've had a bunch of other, you know, we've had the Utah Warriors. They, you know, the bottom falls out on their quote-unquote professional organization. We've got this million-dollar tournament that's supposed to happen. Grand Prix 7s never happens. You've got this National Rugby Football League Combine guys. And, um, you know, even though I've been uh, kind of uh, threatened to be sued, you know, but kind of like (laughs) in a hidden way uh, by those guys, um, you know, they they haven't really done a lot to back up their claims. Uh, they said they're going to have this big competition and they're going to have 30,000 fans in, in an NFL stadium that didn't ever have it. They've had a combine. But, you know, what does that really mean? I think this is the first organization that's ever put its money where its mouth is with the CRC, with USA Sevens, with the Varsity Cup that says that has uttered or murmured the words pro rugby um, that, that you might have to take seriously.
0: All right. So, so Super Sevens is the stupidest idea I've seen in a long time. <laughs> almost as, almost as stupid as arena rugby uh and 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 I understand the understanding behind it partly is that you only have a sevens team so you have like 12 15 guys because they expanded the bench right and one team so you're not you're not transporting 15, 16 teams around the country to go do a tournament. You're transporting one team to another and back and forth and you could have, say, a league of four or six or something. But they, they come together. If you don't know Super 7's right, it's, uh, it's a 60 minute game. 48. Like 48 minutes, right? Well, 60 minutes sort of total run time, I guess. But 48 minutes of, of action uh, with uh, breaking it up into uh, four periods now? Yeah, four four periods. Um, My my problem with it is that if I'm a coach, I'm I'm looking at how difficult it is to play sevens. By the way, sevens for for that long, and players do get tired. You have you have to start changing shifts like every minute ninety seconds, like in hockey, because players are getting tired most of the level of fitness is just not going to be there. So what are you going to do is you're going to waste time. You're going to get ahead. You're going to score a couple of tries, get two or three tries ahead, and then all you're going to do is kick and walk slowly to the line out and waste time. In the fourth quarter, the Super 7s is going to be the most boring you've, uh, sport you see. And I, and I used to watch lawn bowling.
1: <laughs> well, My opinion I'll... only. Here, here's all disagree with it and that super sevens obviously they've tinkered with what the rules are going to be and what the parameters are going to be and they haven't really settled on anything they, they you know had open dialogue with some people from nbc about it after the fact and i think that to say that super sevens what happened at ppl park might be stupid um in, the, in that exact package then yeah maybe it wouldn't work but i think that you could tweak it further right one thing that i believe soccer needs to adapt but uh, i think that the ball goes out of bounds, the, stop, the clock needs to stop like it does in every American sport. I think that we've got to, if you mean four, the game's 14 minutes long, it's not really 13 minutes and 20 seconds long because you got to score that last try within 40 seconds of the clock being done or else we probably won't get a restart again because somebody's going to kick it in the stands and we don't get to go, so that team just wins because the clock runs out. I think that's uh, just a ridiculous way of looking at things. 14 minutes of action should mean 14 minutes of, of gameplay. So... Uh, you know, I, you can look at football in the kneeling situation too, but that's still in a very small part of the game. It's not the entire part of the game. So I, I think you, you know, my, my theory would be ball, every time the ball goes dead, you stop the clock, you restart it when the ball's in play. You have a true that amount of time of, of, of game time. I think you break in TV timeouts and you cut it down to 40 minutes. So it's kind of like college basketball. You have a TV timeout you know, after, at the first stoppage play after the five-minute mark, and you have two halves of, of 20 minutes. After the five minute after the 10 minute you have TV timeouts of each half so you're breaking in you basically get five stops you got 16 players and each player's playing if I remember I, I did the math and a column I wrote but I think each player's playing on average about 19 minutes of sevens uh, of actual game time within that window
0: okay so here here's the problem I see with that and I understand you know college basketball professional basketball with all the you know the fouls and the things you know the momentum killing uh end of the game that can also create something dramatic football uh running out the clock and uh um and the like for fans that's exciting if you're watching kansas play georgetown and you care about either of those teams it's a big deal and if you're watching the ncaa tournament it's a big deal and if you're watching the nfl um you, you'll probably turn it off if you know someone's gonna run out the clock, but um you'll you'll endure a bunch of timeouts and and a bunch of other stoppages because the game is coming to a climax but if you're not a fan, it's really boring and if you watch if you watch you know you ever do this where you're watching a football game and you know i I don't mean I, I hope I don't sound sexist and saying your wife or your girlfriend. Somebody like that is saying, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm waiting for uh, you know I'm I'm waiting for my show to come on after the game," and they're sitting there waiting. When is this going to end? They say, well, there's only two minutes to go. Oh my god! You know, it's like ten minutes later. When is it going to end? It's, like, well, it's 45 seconds to go, and they're just so bored with it. And that's how people will feel about rugby because they don't know anything about rugby and they have nothing invested in it.
1: Well. I mean, look, you can't make your decision based on people who aren't going to be wanting to watch it anyways. Well, you have to. That's the
0: point about pro rugby. Are you, are you going to get rugby fans to go watch it? How many no, rugby you fans are you going to go the game get to go watch game. it and get to go support it and watch it on TV?
1: Right, if, it, if, 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 the
0: entire, if the entire tactical uh, – the, the path to tactical success ends up being you try to take, take the movement out of the game and, and, and take – any action out of the game at the end, which I would do if I were coaching in Super Sevens. You have to, I guess, you have to accept my premise to uh, agree with me. So, that that <laughs> uh, well,
2: I would just say that my wife knows more about football and cares about it more than me. <laughs> my wife and my and my son. I'd be like, can I watch my show? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not a, uh, I'm, not the, I'm not the greatest sports watcher anymore. I used to be a massive fan. I don't know what happened to me. I think I uh, – well, well,
0: Hockey still has it. Hockey has it still. What, happens, I have not really my, have that thing. You know? I watched my
2: first hockey game the other night when the Kings beat the Rangers since the strike. So I hadn't watched anything at all. Not anything. And I watched the second, third, and then the overtime periods, and I was flabbergasted at how amazingly pacey and how incredibly hard these guys worked. It was awesome. I just liked the fact that they played the game at a pace that was unreal. I actually started watching rugby league. Now people are going to start calling me a bogan, but Phil Bailey kind of Phil Bailey kind of taught me minimally about what they were trying to achieve, and I actually have been somewhat entertained by it, and I, whereas in the past I never was. And I, if you get a chance to watch England play New Zealand, it was a pretty good rugby game, and I would suggest that the second test was really fun to watch. It was, it was really fun to watch. There was a lot of good stuff in it.
0: We we do run into this issue in international rugby, and you know how how many World Cup finals have been exciting.
2: Well, that, the, the Super Bowl does not doesn't have historically great games in the finals either. there haven't been a lot of World Cup yeah, finals. who
0: outside of the Pacific Northwest enjoyed watching the Super Bowl? Outside but of the Pacific just, Northwest I'm, and people just, who hate Peyton Manning. But yeah, well, they, the they,
1: they, they we must be all bunch of to sadomasochists to because I think we all watched it. Well, we well, want, I no, watched
0: but, it. I watched it because I am a Seahawks fan. But um if I were, you know, if if it had been like, you know, New York against St. Louis, I probably would have switched it off at halftime. I
2: watched I it because I have a 9-year-old who would have slipped my head off if if I didn't. Yeah but um well they,
0: see i guess that's my point is that there's so much passion involved and for rugby fans the world cup final we i mean we'd like to see a super entertaining game but because we know there's so much meaning in it that's what makes it exciting we're well, in the middle of the, well, the beginning of the soccer oh three, world cup
2: the same the oh deal three world goes. Cups, the oh 03 world cup final was quite good the 95 world cup final certainly had its uh, had its share of excitement yeah. and i think that the 87 world cup final was just an awesome spectacle of a group of people in New Zealand who changed the the face of rugby. They changed the way rugby was played. And then 91 was kind of boring with um with England and Australia. 95 was brilliant. 99 was another awesome display by Australia in 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 a in an Outstanding performance. Oh three, England and Australia was a pretty good game, and it showed the the importance of scrummaging. Oh seven was you know South Africa kind of won a World Cup without really getting any benefit from it because they beat an English team that was was not very good um, until they got Wilkinson, which made it very good. Then in the 2011, I honestly the All Blacks deserved to lose the World Cup final. But they were so much better than everybody. They didn't deserve to lose the World Cup. They deserved to lose that particular game. You know what I'm saying? The
1: World Cup when I learned to hate referees. That's yeah. when I learned that Richie McCall lives by a different set of rules than Terry Ducatois and everybody who sits in the middle in a fluorescent jersey with a whistle in their mouth um, is the enemy. That's what I learned at that World Cup final. Well, they're, they're,
0: again, there's special rules for different people there's a there's a narrative you follow but we also saw a game that that looked like it was going to be fun and then the second half it just sort of uh my point being that a lot of coaches move toward trying to find a way to control the game um and and by by extension making it less exciting to watch and I can see that happening in Super 7s. And I, I do see that in Rugby League, over the course of about 20 years, they, they tried to make some changes to at least make the game move faster. Because I, I grew up watching Rugby League, and it was boring as about, about as anything you could watch. But um, they made it, first of all, it was, it was English Rugby League, so it was really boring and muddy. But, but they changed some of the rules to make it more exciting. And, and one of the things they do is, for example, in rugby league, if you get a penalty, you kick for touch and you get the ball back kind of like a free kick right where it goes out to touch. So what they do is they kick to touch and they race to that mark because there's a ball boy who immediately throws a ball in like that and they start. It's, a, it's, a, it's forcing the game to move quickly. It's 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 rewarding moving quickly. I don't know if rugby union is doing that.
2: I think rugby union has been pretty good about adding their ball and play time. Look, it's not a perfect game. It's not a, and no game is perfect. Rugby league included the, um, they're completely different games. and, And, and in, in a way there's there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences. It's, The the scrummage and and some of the things that happen in loose play cause the spectacle to be not as good as it could be. But there are times when a rugby union spectacle is tremendous and it's just a matter of can we make those times happen more often than they normally do. But I, I think that the real question is, I agree with you guys. I don't think we're going to see a professional league in 15s. And if we do, the people are going to lose money, handle a fist.
0: By way of example, I couldn't see a thing where people could actually get paid so much as sort of a semi pro financially viable type of thing, potentially, maybe, I don't know. Um, But, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, Pat, are excited about the idea of, you know, a, a, a professional seven circuit, but maybe that's the same deal. It's, vaguely financially viable teams who sort of pay their players or at least don't charge their players um, to, to start to build something. I mean, you you saw – yeah, I, I think you saw that PowerPoint presentation from Bill Tatham with his little triangle of, of money for his professional sevens league, and you saw that it was money from investors going to the league that went into building the, the – the competition and you'd see the arrows go like that and then suddenly magically 3 years later money from the competition is flowing back to to investors um i don't know how that happens i don't see that necessarily happening and i guess maybe super 7s it would
2: i think it's the same as the federal reserve <laughs> nobody understands it and it don't work well but um the the Pacific rugby premiership has a pretty good model that the teams in the East are going to have to either get on board with, or they're going to die. And I don't mean that they're going to die in. in, It's that the players in the East from what I know are either going to stop playing or go over there. So the Atlantic rugby premiership or whatever it's going to be called has got to happen. It, Losing the Super League for those two years has been absolutely dreadful. It's been absolutely dreadful. So I'm not getting it back. The Pacific Rugby Premiership was great. The concept of it was fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's not just a low overhead, too. I mean, it's also the the concept of you want to build a team's brand or identity and create those fans that are willing to watch – those, you know, as the seconds slowly tick by in the last two minutes, as you talked about, that you kind of need more than just 14 minutes every two hours in a tournament to do it that for them to sit down and watch their team go at it for, you know, 45 minutes, an hour, you, you need that kind of valuable time um, to build a brand. So that's part of the thinking behind it. And I'm not saying that's the magic pill. The only reason I'm saying this is the most viable thing we've got, I do think sevens, I do think sevens will be where it comes from professional rugby um, without a doubt. But hmm. I I, I also am just saying that Super Rugby is is the most viable because, uh, or Super Sevens is the most viable because it's the most viable group of, uh, or the most viable company behind any kind of venture that we've seen so far. I don't have any faith in any of the other companies or or people or uh, logos that have popped up. So I'm willing to give Super Sevens more time than any of those other ventures um, based on who's behind it. And the fact that they pulled off uh, a few events of note.
0: I like the logos.
2: Um, well, hey, can I, I say one thing? Yeah. yeah. Will Holder and, and Justin Hunley love playing it. And I didn't speak to Will personally, but I spoke to Rob. And Justin I spoke to personally. He, he loved it. He thought it was great. Um, the the so third quarter, really, I
1: mean, Canada was up huge. And then I think it was a thirty-one to five run the United States team made in the third quarter, and then Canada made another run in the fourth quarter. So it was, you know, I, I was kind of thinking I was skeptical early on. I'm like, you know, if they get down four tries, the way sevens games go, this is going to be a nightmare to watch in the second half. And it just ended up not being that case in the one exhibition match I saw. So I mean, we probably need more of a sample size, but it was I thought it was pretty entertaining.
0: I I think in the end, uh, Pat, you make the point that building some kind of brand so that people care about what they're seeing and they've got to care. I mean, that's the whole point behind CRC and you want to, and, and the whole point about the efforts that NBC are putting, trying to show the USA rugby team is that you, you need to care about the team you're watching so that you will sit through the odd boring game or the odd stop, start part of a match so that you will still follow them. And on a rugby level, there's a lot we care about. Um, but if we want to get more people to care about it, we've got to find some way to get them invested. And maybe it's about branding. Maybe it's about naming the teams the right thing. Maybe it's about packaging the game the right way. Or maybe it just takes time. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, but uh, I do know that it's time for us to wrap this up. And this has been a great show. And I, for Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean, this is Alex Goff. Thanking you for listening to Rugged Matrix America. Check us out on iTunes. Check us out, ruggedmatrix.com. Check us out on Instagram Twitter and Facebook.